Well, good morning. I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind just coming up, and then where's Chris Conlon? Chris, come here. Just come up here. You're going to see something that you will never, ever see in, except here in church. Okay? You're going to see the AFC North. Are there any Ravens? Anybody raving or, or wearing Baltimore Ravens? All right, come here. Let's hug. No, no, come on. Hug. Hug. Okay. This is AFC North. Now go, please. All right, go. Don't expect that again. All right. And I am in favor of Peyton Manning winning his second tonight. I thought I'd just get that out. Matthew chapter 28. Join there with me. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. We are continuing our series, One Plus One Equals Another One. And for the past month, we have been spending time looking at this passage, this moment that Jesus has with his made disciples on a hillside. Jesus has resurrected from the grave, and here he stands amidst his made disciples, and he is moments away from ascending back to heaven, and he gives them the mission. He gives them this incredible mission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along with me. If you have a Bible app on your phone, use that. Or um, We may have some Bibles around here. Obviously, we, you could take one of those. And if you don't have a Bible um, at home, take one of those, and it's yours, please. And start reading it. We would love that if you would do that. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew writes, and it's, it's his gospel. And simply, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew's gospel is just simply a biography of Jesus. Matthew walked with Jesus, he spent time with Jesus, he heard him speak, he heard him teach, and so this is a first century biography of Jesus Christ written by someone who walked with Jesus, who listened to Jesus. And then this is what he records for us at the conclusion of his biography. He says in verse 16 of Matthew 28, he says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. Do we really believe we should do that? If you're here this morning and you're a made disciple of Jesus Christ, do you really believe in the core of who you are that you should make disciples of Jesus? Do I really believe that the primary mission for me as a follower of Jesus is to make new followers of Jesus, to make disciples? I mean, if people were to look at my life, if people were to look at your life, whether it be your coworkers or your neighbors or your friends, your classmates, the people you teach, the people that know you, and I were to ask them, what would you say he's all about? What would you say she's all about? Would they in that conversation say, you know what, they, I don't know exactly, but they sure talk a lot about Jesus. They sure just 
There's something different about them, how they carry themselves, what they say, what they do, and there's just something about them. Would they be able to say that about you? Would they be able to say that about me? Because Jesus here says, listen, that he could have given us any mission, <laughs> any, any mission, and he says, listen, here's what you all need to be about. You need to be about making new disciples of me. You need to be going throughout the world, telling the world the truth about who I am, Acts 1.8. It's what a witness is. It tells the truth about Jesus. Why does Jesus say this? I was asking myself that question. I was like, of all the missions Jesus could give, why does he give us this one? To make more disciples of him. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus believes that he is the greatest need of the nations. Jesus believes and Jesus knows that he is the greatest need of the students you teach. He is the greatest need of the person sitting in the cubicle next to you. He is the greatest need of the neighbor across the street whose name you have yet to know and you've lived there for 15 years. He is the greatest need of the people in your family. That's why Jesus says, go make disciples of me because I am who they need more than anything Because he knows that the greatest need for Africa, the greatest need for Asia, the greatest need for Europe, the greatest need for America, the greatest need for here is this, for people to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. That's why he says, go, make disciples of all nations. Jesus knows that it's making disciples of him that changes the world. It's how heaven comes to earth. Is when you and I live our lives purposefully, intentionally, seeking to make new disciples of Jesus. I mean, why else would he make this mission about himself if he did not believe that he is the greatest need of the people that we know or people we don't even know yet? And then why would these first century made disciples live their lives and give their lives, even some in death, for this mission? Because they believe, too, that Jesus is the greatest need of the nations. Jesus believes this. They believed it. The question we have to ask ourselves as the church of the 21st century is, do we really believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus is the greatest need of the nations? Do you really, do I really believe that? I mean, do we really believe that in Unless a person confesses their sins before Christ and receives Christ and his forgiveness through what he did for them on the cross and three days later, that unless they receive Christ, they will spend forever in hell. Do you really believe that? Because Jesus believes that. Do you? Do I? Do our lives, does our behavior reveal that we believe that? Do we really believe he's the greatest need of the nations? But here's where the problem lies. We have a problem. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I'll tell you why. Because I have fears. What am I going to say? How do I start a conversation? How do I talk to somebody about Jesus? 
What do I say? What do I do? My own inadequacies. What if they don't like me anymore? What if I go across the street to my neighbor and start, or whatever, and we have them over for dinner, and we start talking about Jesus, and they're like, those crazies, those religious whatever, right? All those thoughts maybe go through my, they go through my head, and then I start feeling, I'm like, I'm a pastor. I shouldn't have these thoughts, but that's, that's who I am. I'm with you. I mean, I struggle. What should, how do I say? What do I do? And, you know, I've known these people for years, but have I ever told them about Jesus I'm the problem. And so I look at the mission Jesus gives me as a his made disciple, and then I look at me, and I go, this seems pretty impossible. It seems impossible. And you know what? It is. It is. This is an impossible mission if left up to me, if left up to you. It is an impossible mission. But thankfully, Jesus here as he's giving the mission to his disciples, he says this. Here's the great part. The great news, it's not up to you. It's not up to me or you. Jesus says, it's up to me. And he reveals that for us here in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. But I have hope here because as a messed up, made disciple, who did Jesus give the mission to in the first century? Other messed up made disciples. Think about who's on the hill. Peter. Impulsive Peter. Always putting his foot in his mouth, right? Always saying stuff. I will follow you to the end. Do you know Jesus? No. That was Peter. Right? Jesus, I will die for you. Do you know Jesus, Peter? Uh, Absolutely not. You're crazy. Then you have Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He's on that mountain that Jesus given the missions to. And Thomas like, listen, unless I see it, I ain't going to believe it, man. Jesus walks in. Show the sky. Really? Come on. Is that really you, Jesus? Yes, it is. Touch, the, touch my hands. Doubting Thomas. Then you have the two guys who come from a family whose last name was Thunder because it says they're the sons of Thunder, right? And they're called James and John. And these guys were known for arguing about who's the greatest disciple. These guys were like, hey, who do you think's better, me or you? Hey, guys, here's John. I'm James. What do you think? Of these two, who would Jesus pick? First, kickball team. Who would Jesus pick first? Uh, that's, what, that's, that's these guys, James and John. They're on that mountainside. Guys filled with pride. Struggling with pride. And Jesus goes, <laughs> go. Go tell the nations about who I am. And he tells it to a bunch of messed up, made disciples. So if you're here this morning and you have issues and you're a follower of Jesus, you qualify. You have no excuse for not telling the nations about Jesus. None. Because I qualify along with these guys on that hillside. So how did this group of messed up made disciples turn the world upside down as it says in Acts chapter 17? From someone who wasn't a disciple, he's looking at these messed up made disciples and they're telling the nations about Jesus and he looks at them and he goes, these guys are turning the world upside down. How did they do it in the first century? Because how they did it in the first century is how we do it in the 21st century. And Jesus reveals to us how something that seems so impossible, this mission of making disciples of all nations, becomes possible. And we find it in verses 18 and 20 of Matthew chapter 28. Quick review. We've discovered that making new disciples begins with made disciples 
worshiping Jesus. We see that in verse 16. When they see the resurrected Jesus, what do they do? They fall at his feet. So if you want to make a new disciple, it begins with you knowing Christ. It begins with you falling, falling at the feet of Jesus, falling before him, worshiping him. And then it continues with you as a made disciple who's worshiping Jesus, moving out like Jesus, going, leaving, coming. But, that's, but the result of a made disciple from you being a made disciple, from a new, the result of a new disciple coming from you or through you is not up to you. Jesus says it's not possible because of you. How do we know this? Because of verse 19. Look at it with me. What's the first, first word in verse 19? Therefore, I served with a pastor, a preacher, and he always said this. Whenever you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. Great wisdom, great advice. Whenever you find a therefore in Scripture, find out what it's there for. So I'm going, okay, Jesus, why did you say therefore? What's therefore mean? Here's what therefore means. Go to Webster and he'll tell you. This is exactly what Webster says. He says, therefore means this. For that reason, this being so, that being the case, so as a result. In essence, Jesus is going, the result of this is you going and making new disciples. Because of this, you can go and make disciples. In fact, you should expect new disciples. Here's the reason why you should go, and here's the reason how new disciples happens. That's all wrapped up in this word, therefore. So we want to find out the this, this that makes new disciples, or the reason, or how all this is possible. What do we need to find out? We need to go, what did Jesus say prior to the therefore? Because this whole Making new disciples is dependent, is grounded on what Jesus just said prior to the therefore. We'll go to verse 18. Because in that therefore, Jesus reveals for us the why and the how of making new disciples as possible. He tells us the why and the how. Why should you go make new disciples and how is it possible when you go, you're worshiping Jesus, you're moving out like Jesus, you're telling people about Jesus, why you should expect new disciples to be made. He says this in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, making new disciples is possible because of the authority of Jesus. That's why it's possible. Jesus says, listen, it is possible for you as a messed up made disciple who has your own issues to make new disciples because of my authority, not yours. Because of my authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now let's break down this statement of Jesus. All, what's all mean? Not rocket science here, okay? All. All means all. You can't get any bigger than all. You can't get any more than all. I remember an old commercial. It was like for like detergent or something. A-L-L. Those of you that are old, like me, you'll remember that. Okay, all. All means all. That was the statement in the commercial. You can't, it's the greatest amount possible. So Jesus is saying, I can't get any more authority because I already have all of it. So if you think that you're ultimately the authority of your life, Sorry to disappoint you. There's someone who is, has more authority than you. So really, you may think that you're truly living out your own life and doing what you want to do, but there's someone that has an authority much higher than you, and his name is Jesus. All authority. Well, what kind of authority are we talking about? By authority, Jesus means the power of rule or government. 
It's a kind of authority whose will and commands must be submitted to and obeyed. I mean, think about it. If there is no higher authority than Jesus, then we need to obey Jesus. We need to submit to Jesus. And if you don't submit to the King of kings and Lord of lords, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be friction in your relationship with him because he has all authority. Well, what's the range of his authority? In heaven and on earth. So let's put it together. So Jesus is saying, I have the greatest amount of power and rule possible, not just on earth, but in heaven as well. That's what, case closed. I mean, let's just sit and Jesus, you just do, I mean, it's his. He has all these, where did he get it? He said it was given to him. Matthew 11 tells us, Jesus says that the Father handed it to him. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, right? And at the name of Jesus, every person, every knee, where? In heaven and on earth, same phrase, will bow and confess that he's the Lord. God, he received, he received that authority from the Father, and then he has that authority simply because Jesus himself is God. If you were to look at Colossians 1, you don't need to turn there, but verse 15 and 16, referring to Jesus, says, For by Jesus all things were created, notice the phrase, in heaven and on earth. So by nature of Jesus himself being God, he has the highest authority. And the Father gives him authority after he dies on the cross, after Jesus resurrects from the grave, he exalts him back to his rightful place. And so you have all this authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. But what kind of authority? Listen to this kind of authority that Jesus has. Philippians 2. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of authority that Jesus has. Jesus is a kind of king that will say, I know you can't come to me on your own, so I'm coming to you. I'm getting off the throne, and I'm going to come to you. I'm going to step into your world. I know you can't come to me, so I'm going to even live the perfect life that you could never live on your own, and I'm even going to put myself on the cross, take the justice that you deserve for your sin against me. I'm going to put it on me. I'm going to take it so that you don't have to, and I'm going to come back to life three days later, and when you look at me, you can come to me because I came to you. That, the king did that for you. The king this Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth, he did that for us. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. An authority that says, I love you so much, I will come to you, but because you can't come to me on your own. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. And Jesus proved it, did he not? Creation submits to his authority. Remember the story, he calms a storm, the waves and and the wind are going crazy, and the disciples are in the boat. Matthew chapter 8 tells us this, and, and Jesus calmly rebukes the wind. All right, if, if you ever rebuke someone, I mean, there are times maybe as a parent you do a little rebuking. Right, why? Because I got the authority, and hopefully they respond to the little rebuking. Jesus, it says here, rebukes the wind and the waves, right? And what happens to the wind and the waves? They They stop. And then the disciples are going, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? So even nature, creation, 
submits to his authority. So if you're here and not a disciple of Jesus, why won't you? Why won't you submit to his authority? Even wind and waves submit to his authority. What's keeping you from submitting your life to that authority? An authority that actually came so that came to you so that you could come to him. What's keeping you from submitting to that authority? Creation submits to his authority. Disease submits to his authority. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 30, Jesus heals the blind and it says, and their sight was restored. Even disease submits to Jesus' authority. What's keeping you this morning? Even demons submit to his authority. Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 through 34 Jesus drives out demons and his phrases, and when the demon was driven out, even the supernatural, demonic world, spiritual realm, they submit to the authority of Jesus. So what's keeping you from submitting to the authority of Jesus? An authority that comes down, takes your justice, or justice you deserve for your sin. Sin submits to his authority. Luke chapter 7, he, Luke Jesus looks at the lady and he, and he for, says, your sins are forgiven. And the response is this, who is this who even forgives sins? And then death submits to his authority. The greatest example of this is Jesus' own death, but ultimately his resurrection, right? But another instance is John 11, right? Lazarus has been dead for who knows, he's stinking in, in the tomb. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. What's the next phrase? And the dead man came out. Death submits to the authority of Jesus, Death does. So you have nature, creation, sin, disease, demons, death. It all submits to the authority. How can that happen? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. So let's think about this for a moment. Jesus looks at these messed up made disciples and he says, listen. Hey, Living Church, I want you to go and I want you to make some new disciples. Throw any excuse you can out there why you shouldn't. Go out. I mean, just think about it or why you're not. The reality is this, whatever excuse you throw out there, it's not, it's not up to you anyway. It's the authority of Jesus that makes it happen. Because think about this. For someone to become a made disciple of Jesus, Ephesians 2 tells us that a person that's separate from Christ, their heart's dead. I don't know about you, but I have never been able to take a spiritually dead heart and make it alive. Can't do it. Never been able to do that. And I'm guessing you haven't been able to either. But that's what a made disciple has, a, a new heart. And then the scriptures tell us that becoming a, a, a disciple of Jesus involves you, you getting a new heart, right, of forgiving of your sins and the shame and the guilt and then transferring you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. I've never been able to do that. I've never been able to look at someone and by the power of Mark, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of, of, of Jesus. Never been able to do that. But I know someone who has and I know someone who can. And that, I mean, you think about the mission. Is it not a supernatural mission that we're talking, that Jesus is giving to us? It's something that you or I cannot do on our own. I cannot change a heart. No matter how badly or desperately I want to, I can't. But Jesus can because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, when we pray and when we're say, um, sharing Jesus with people and someone in that moment gives their life to Jesus, what happens? That supernatural authority took over and rescued them. It was all Jesus. It was all him. I mean, the gospel is a supernatural message from heaven that accomplishes a supernatural work on earth. 
That's what the good news of Jesus is, and it happens because Jesus has given us, through himself, his supernatural authority to get the job done. So what's this look like? I remember as a kid, you have those viewfinders, right? The little red things and the little circle cards. You put those bad boys in, and then, you know, and you get a new little sl- slide, a new picture or whatever. So imagine that that viewfinder is the supernatural authority of Jesus, right? And you put in the card, what do you see? I see you. I see made disciples. I see, look at your life. For those of you that are here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the reason why you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning is because at some point in your life, the supernatural authority of Jesus got a hold of your heart and changed you from the inside out. And so when you look through that viewfinder, I see people like Chris. I see who I had lunch with a couple, couple weeks ago. He's part of Living Church, and he's telling me, Mark, he says, before I came to Jesus Christ, to me, happiness was getting an unlimited amount of supply of drugs. That was happiness for me. But then he said, Jesus got a hold of my life, and I'm a different man because of that. What, how did that happen? Because the supernatural authority of Jesus got a hold of Chris's heart, changed him, and has helped free him from the guilt and the shame from his past choices. And now through him now, that authority is working to continue to keep him free. That's what the authority of Jesus does. So what's it look like? What's it mean for us? It means for those of us, when we go and we move out like Jesus, it means this, when you go, you don't need to fear because Jesus has conquered all the fear already. He's the highest authority there is in heaven and earth, and he goes with you. And we'll see that in a moment. And it means this, if you want to see the supernatural authority of Jesus in your life, what do you need to be about? Making disciples of Jesus. If I want to see the supernatural authority of Jesus in my life, I need to be about making disciples, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ and how their sins can be forgiven and how that shame can be forgiven and how it can be removed all because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so making new disciples of Jesus is possible because of the authority of Jesus. And it's also possible, look at verse 20, because of the presence of Jesus. Because of the presence of Jesus. He says this in verse 20, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely what I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always. Jesus promises his presence. He's looking at these made disciples and he's going, Here's the mission. (laughs) Go make new disciples of me, and I'm not sending you out alone. So whether you end up in Ecuador or whether you end up in Tennessee or whether you end up across the, the globe in China, Asia, wherever it might be, or some remote tribe that nobody's ever heard of, and you are telling people about Jesus, whether it's Guatemala, whether it's Ireland, wherever it might be, Mexico, wherever you go, you do not go alone. You do not go alone. Jesus says, I am with you always. Maybe when you walk across the street and you're talking to your neighbor, when you go to school and next to your classmates and you're there with an intention to tell them about Jesus, whatever it might be, you do not go alone. Jesus said, I am with you always. Always. It's in the present tense. And I am, that little phrase, the name of Jesus is present. In essence, Jesus is saying, I who am present am always present with you. Always. I'm like the air, he said. I'm like the air for you as a made disciple of me. You, no matter where you go, I am always with you. Always. 
And the word always refers to the whole day, and the end of the age refers to the completion. So Jesus is saying, until the last person that I've chosen before the foundation of the world to come to me, until that happens, I will be with you always. Because when that happens, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. We go with the presence of Jesus always. Well, how is that possible? How is he with us always? Well, he promised, did he not, that he'd send the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 1-8, he said, I will clothe you with power, Luke 24. And then Acts 1-8, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. For what? To be my witnesses. I wonder if sometimes I don't see the power of the Holy Spirit in my life because I'm not telling people about Jesus. I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm wondering maybe I don't experience a supernatural presence of Jesus in my life because I'm not telling people about Jesus. I'm not talking about Jesus enough. I mean, what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To help us accomplish the mission. If we're not accomplishing the mission, then maybe we're not seeing the presence of the Spirit like we should. He's there. He's in us. Jesus promised. And by his promise of his presence, Jesus is saying, listen, church, made disciples, listen. You have all you need to get the mission done. You have it all. You have my authority, you have my presence, just go. Just go. Start talking about me. Start showing my love to the people next door, to the people in class, to the students you teach, to the neighbor on the mission field, whether short-term, long-term, whatever it might be. Just, just go. And when you go and when you start talking about me, something supernatural happens. I show up. I show up. When we were in Ireland, I had a, a good friend, his name was Kieran, and, you know, we're new missionaries, and we're trying to settle in and, and all this stuff, and, had, and he had become a friend because our kids were attending the same school, and he said, hey, why don't I take you and your boys home from school? I'm like, perfect. That sounds great. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, maybe an opportunity to just share Jesus with them and, and all this, and so he starts asking me questions while we're here and all this stuff, so have a conversation, and, and I said something to him that in church world would make a lot of sense. Okay, an American church world would make a lot of sense, but for somebody that has no concept of, uh, uh, of church in, in the sense of like what we're doing this morning and all this, I said something to him, and I could just tell by the look on his face, he's going, I have no idea what you mean or what that means, you know, whatever. And in my mind, I could just tell by the look on his face going, I blew it. I've totally confused this guy. Absolutely. There is no way he's ever going to ask me a question about Jesus again. He's not going to want to be my friend again. All this stuff. So a couple days pass, right? And he offers to take us home again. And we're sitting in his car. And he says, you know that thing that you said a couple days ago? And I'm going, oh, no. He's like, yeah, he said, explain that to me a little bit more. And explain this whole God thing to me a little bit more. So in my mind, what I'm going, I just blew it. Right? I just blew any opportunity to tell this guy. God is going, I'm going to take, you are seriously messed up, Jones. But I'm going to show you my glory. And I'm going to take what you thought you came out of your mouth was trash and, and just didn't do anything great for sharing Jesus. And I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to use it to spark something in him to create a question. So you'll keep having an opportunity to talk to him, talk to him about Jesus. What happened there? Supernatural authority and supernatural presence of Jesus showed up. Had nothing to do with me. Had everything to do with Jesus. Had everything to do with Jesus. So what does this look like? It looks like the supernatural presence when he goes with you. It looks like this. It looks like you not going alone. 
When you go to that remote tribe across the street, go to that school to teach, whatever it might be, you do not go alone. And if you want to see the supernatural presence of Jesus in your life, make another one. Make another one. We have no excuse. I mean, if a group of messed up disciples in the first century, impulsive, pride-filled, had to see it for themselves, could turn the world upside down, there's hope for us. There's hope for us. So I want you to imagine with me this morning. Imagine a city, if you would. Imagine a city that's filled with made disciples who are worshiping Jesus. And they're moving out like Jesus. They are going, they are leaving, they are coming, and they're going out and they're leaving. They're coming in the authority of Jesus and with the presence of Jesus. What would a city like that look like? Can you imagine? What would your street look like? What would your neighborhood look like? What would your campus look like? What would your workplace look like? What would our church look like? If we truly were worshiping Jesus and we're, we're just going out with the authority of Jesus, we're just talking about Jesus, we don't have to get all the words right, we just need to start about talking about him. And so you start talking to, to people about him and, and watch him show up. What would that look like? Let me tell you what I think it would look like for us as living church. I want to cast some dreaming in front of us this morning. Let's just imagine there's 80 made disciples of Jesus here this morning. Okay? 80 of us, let's say, in this room. And you're worshiping Jesus this year, and you're passionate. I mean, you're praying, God, I want to make another one this year. And, and you're going out with the authority of Jesus. You're talking about Jesus. Let's imagine that this next year, if there's 80 of us making another one just in one, just make one this year. What should we see this time next year? 80 new disciples, right? We should. We have what we need to get the job, to, to share Jesus. We have his authority. We have his presence. We have the message of the gospel itself, which is powerful, powerful Romans 1.16, to change the heart. So can you imagine this time next year having 80 people who've come to know Christ, and that means hearts changed? Because Jesus knows that when he changes a heart, he changes a life. And when that life, change, when that life changes, what happens? You see another life change. And when more than one lives are changed, what happens? Neighborhoods are changed. Families are changed. The neighborhoods are changed. Communities are changed. Communities are changed. Therefore, cities are changed. And when cities are changed, what happens? Nations are changed. And it all happens with the church of made disciples going out worshiping Jesus, moving out like Jesus, simply telling people about Jesus with the authority and the presence of Jesus. So imagine, this time next year, 80 new disciples. Would you pray with me? That God would allow us through his grace to see 80 new disciples, new followers of Jesus this next year through Living Church. We're praying to that end as a leadership team. I want you to pray with us, and that more so, I want you to go. I want you to go tell people about Jesus. So if we're truly making another one, we should see that on the individual level. We're each making another one. We have four living communities, and if we're seeing new disciples made, what should we expect? We should see, expect our living communities to make another one. Right now we have four. This time next year we should have eight to ten new living communities because we're making new disciples, telling people about Jesus. So we got 80 new disciples this time next year. we got eight to ten new living communities. So if you have new disciples, 80 new disciples, if you have ten new living communities, all those or ten total living communities, all that, what are you going to need? We're going to need a bigger space. We're just going to need it. We already need more kids' space. And right now, some of us behind the scenes are already looking and praying, God, lead us to a larger space where we can gather the church together on Sunday mornings to celebrate you who you are and what you've done. 
So would you pray with us to that end? And I also believe, too, if we're making another one individually, we're making another one through community, through our living communities, we should be already talking and planning about planting and starting and making another church two to three years from now. Does that sound impossible? Does it? Awesome. If that's, that comes across to you like impossible, awesome. Because I'm reading this, and I'm going, Jesus is going, hey, you got my authority, you got my presence. Listen, I am what the nations need, Jesus says. I am what they need. I am more, I, I, they need me more than they need food. That might sting, that might hurt a little bit. But it's true. He said, I am what they need because I changed the heart. And what happens is when Jesus changes the heart, he mobilizes a people to go meet the physical needs of people. And do you believe that Jesus is the greatest need of the nations? Do you believe that he's the greatest need of your kids? Do you believe that he's the greatest need of your classmates? Do you believe that he's the greatest need of the city, of your community, of your workplace? Do you believe that? Do we? Jesus believed it. And the first century made disciples believed it, and they gave their lives for it. And they saw the world turn upside down. The world to them at that time, they saw it turn upside down. So would you pray with us? And maybe you're saying, Mark, you're just kind of like out in la-la land. Eighty disciples, ten living communities. And it's not about the number. It's about hearts being changed. Hearts going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Hearts filled with shame, filled with guilt from their past, being rescued from Jesus. That's what this is about. It's about changing people's lives, changing people's hearts. That's what this is about. And two weeks ago, we celebrated how God has already changed some hearts through baptism. As people publicly said, God has changed my heart. Christ has changed my heart. And I want people to know it by being baptized. And we celebrated that two weeks ago. So what do we do next? What do we do next? Well, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to pray as a church. And your prayer may be simply a prayer of confession as it was for me this week, as I was le- reading this and going, man, I'm convicted. I'm, am I really moving out telling people about Jesus? I've talked about a lot of different things. What's on my shirt, right? Promote them. I want us to pray together and ask God to do the impossible because it may look impossible for us and through us, but with him, all things are possible. So with the people near you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to simply pray, and would you ask God to make us a church that makes another one? Would you ask God to make you, if you're here and a made disciple of Jesus, would you ask God to make you a made disciple that's making another one? And what does that look like for you? And just have, turn around, introduce yourself, and just maybe have one person that's near you, just say, would, just have them pray, because we need to call on the Lord. But here's what's cool, Ephesians 3, 20, 21. I don't know if we can put that on the screen if we have that. But it says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. It's all about him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout the generations forever and ever. Amen. Because when a heart's changed, who gets the glory? Jesus gets the glory. Why? Because he did it. (laughs) He did it. He gets all the glory. And so would you... 
Call on him now in this moment with the people near you and say, Lord Jesus, make us a church that makes another one. Please, may we be about your glory by making another one. So do that now with people next to you. And as, as you pray, I want you to pray big. I want you to pray big. I want you to pray, God, give us 80 new disciples this year. God, give us 10 living communities this year. God, give us a new space so that we can continue to use it for your glory. I want you to ask God for the impossible. I want you to ask him to do it for his own glory this morning. There are people who live right next door to you who need you to tell them about Jesus. There are people who you work with that need you to tell them about Jesus. Maybe God has placed you in that cubicle for the sole purpose of telling the person in the next cubicle about Jesus. So what's it look like for you? What's it look like for us? And let's in response call on the God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So pray now if you would. I want you to stand with me if you would. And maybe you're here this morning and go ahead and stand if you would. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I've never really fully submitted my life to the authority of Jesus. You know, I've, I've, I'm here this morning and I, I can honestly say that I walked in not a disciple of Jesus this morning. I want you to hear one thing. Jesus is the greatest need of your heart. He is the greatest need of your heart. And if creation submits to him, disease submits to him, sin submits to him, death submits to him, may this morning be the morning where you too become his. As you submit your heart, receiving his forgiveness, made possible because of his death on the cross and what he did three days later when he came back to life for you. This is a king that came from heaven because you could never come to him on your own. And may this morning be this morning that you say, I walked in this morning, not a disciple, but I'm leaving a made disciple this morning. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. We don't do this very often, but when we start singing this next song, if that's you, if you find yourself going, yes, some point during the talk, some point this morning, or even right now, I am giving my heart to Jesus. I'm becoming his. I would like for you to just take a step of faith, take a step of courage, and would you just meet us in the back? We'll have some of our living community pastors and leaders back there. We're just going to come alongside you and rejoice with you and pray with you, celebrate with you. But if you're here this morning, please hear us. If you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, please, we ask you, turn your heart to him. Receive his forgiveness and become his this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. God, I pray for me. I pray for my heart, God. Forgive me for my fear. Forgive me for that need, that nasty need to be approved, that nasty need to be liked that keeps me from telling people about you like I should. I pray, God, that you would remove that from me. I pray that you would remove that from our people, from our church. And God, may we be a people of made disciples this morning who are passionately worshiping you and moving out like you with your authority and with your presence. And may you, Lord Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, may you through us receive all the glory this morning. Amen.